when are you expecting Tom back? When is, when is the day where he's supposed to return? We'll see. We'll talk about it next week. I'm not concerned about it right now. We're trying to practice against Tennessee and play a game. I said sometime after Tennessee, there's no definitive date for me, but we'll check on it. We'll keep in touch, and we'll find out. Oh, Todd Bowles with a little tell there, a little stress. We'll check on it next week. The touching of the face while delivering the information, the time-honored psychological and physiological reaction to stress. Look, I feel bad for Todd Bowles. I do. He's the one who's out front and center dealing with these questions about Tom Brady. But this idea that Tom Brady has been gone for eight days now on a pre-planned training camp hiatus, unprecedented, and that's fine. Everything about Tom Brady at this point is unprecedented. 45-year-old starting quarterback who had over 5,000 passing yards last year, still at the height of his overall powers, somehow still going, a family that is maturing and aging to the point where he's got a kid in high school for crying out loud. We've never seen this. No one's ever had to deal with it, but we've definitely never seen somebody just say during training camp, I'm gone. It's all pre-planned. I'm trying to understand how the conversation went. Hey, guys, I need to leave on August the uh, the 11th. I need to leave on the 11th. Okay, fine. Well, how long are you going to be gone? I don't know. Okay, fine. Just come back whenever. I, how do they not know when he's coming back if this was all pre-planned? So, I, look, I, I struggle with this, Shereen, because on one hand, the man's entitled to his privacy. And he's allowed to have personal reasons for whatever he's doing. On the other hand, he has chosen to live for over 20 years, for over half of his life, a very public existence. And he embraces it on Twitter, social media. He's constantly selling something, whether it's crypto or underwear or whatever. He's, he's into big business, and he relies on his public persona and fame to do it. You don't just disappear for one week and longer in training camp and expect everyone to just say, well, we respect Tom Brady's ability to disappear from training camp whenever he chooses to do so. No, people are going to be curious. People are going to wonder what's going on. People are going to wonder whether he's coming back. These are all fair questions because they have created a vacuum of information, and we're all curious. We're naturally curious. The greatest player of all time is gone, and we don't know when he's coming back. How are we supposed to sit there and just shut up and watch it play out? Well, and my, my first thought was poor Todd Bowles because he got put in this situation. It's really his first big test because we don't know if Tom Brady's coming back. We don't know when Tom Brady's coming back. They don't seem to know if and when Tom Brady's coming back. And the mystery is a distraction. No matter what they say, it absolutely is playing out as a distraction. And my first thought, unfortunately, was – can you imagine this on a Bill Belichick team? Oh, well, I'm, I'm just going to leave on August 11th and not come back. It wouldn't have played out like this. And it certainly wasn't pre-planned. It's something that happened along the way, whatever happened, that forced him, prompted him to leave the team and go do whatever he's doing now. And I don't know why that takes as long as it's taken but, you know, the Bucks came out and said he'll be back after the second preseason game. And I guess technically they didn't lie because there's no definitive date for him to come back, but it's going to be after the second preseason game. So, But we just don't know when. So it's going to be Sunday or Monday. And I tell you what, Mike, if he didn't show up Sunday or Monday, they're off Sunday, but 
if he's not around on Monday, this is going to blow up because at that point, I just I don't think he's coming back. I mean, how, you've got to think well, that there's something going on now that that is leading him to stay away from the team. It has been characterized as personal reasons. Rick Stroud, our friend with the Tampa Bay Times, has reported that it is not a health situation for Brady or any of his family members, which is good news. But still, we are left with nothing other than to sit and wait. I feel like a big part of this has been PR failure by the Buccaneers. Now, maybe they've been put in a bad spot because how much can you really say about where Tom Brady is, what he's doing, if he's coming back? I continue to believe he's coming back. I just don't know when, and I don't know what the fallout is internally. Again, it's Tom Brady, so the rules are different. At some point, though, the human beings who are in that locker room are going to grow a little bit resentful. When the boss, when the guy who's in charge isn't there working alongside everyone else, and you are, at some point, you're going to get a little upset. And, you know, Shereen, for the same reason that if Kyler Murray struggles – at any point this year, we're going to say, uh-huh, uh-huh. Not putting enough time studying film before games. If Tom Brady struggles at any point this year, aren't we going to say, well, if you hadn't disappeared for two weeks during training camp, maybe you wouldn't be struggling. Well, I think that's the thing that stands out for me is he would have been the last person I would have expected to leave for two weeks during training camp just because you go back to COVID uh, you know, he violated what the NFL PA put out about not having those voluntary workouts. And he organized those and he had his teammates there and they were working out anyway. This is a guy who his MO is to work, 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 work. I mean, TB12, come on, that's all he does. And I know he's working wherever he is. If he's coming by, he's working and he's working hard. But he's not working with his teammates. He's away from the team. And we've just never seen this before. That's not his M.O. This is a guy that wants to be around his teammates, that wants to learn his receivers. And, hey, by the way, he has some new receivers this year. He has some new tight ends this year. He really needs to get to know those guys that he's going to be playing with in week one, presuming he's going to play week one. So this is just unlike him. And I think that's why the mystery is is what it is, is because – We've never seen this before from Tom Brady. He's always been a guy who's been there every single day, working alongside his teammates, working harder than his teammates. And he's not there now to do that. He's had no social media activity that I can discern since August 3. He hasn't. And, and see, I, I just think that if you are going to live an extremely public existence and if every other one of your tweets is going to be selling something and you – you know, you, you post different, you know, I'm, I'm, at what point do you have an obligation as an inherently public person who already has a contract for $375 million over 10 years to be the number one analyst at Fox whenever he decides to stop playing? Well, wouldn't that be something if Greg Olson gets a tap on the shoulder that he's back down to the number two team before he even <laughs> works a game as number one? But what, when you do that, I think at some point you have an obligation to use your own voice to use your own fingers to type something to let people know that everything's fine and I'll be back on X or I appreciate all the well wishes, we're fine, you know, whatever. He's forcing the Buccaneers to deal with this. I think that's the other part of it that just makes it unusual, unprecedented, and something that invites curiosity. 
Why has he been silent? What in the world is going on? Here's the last thing I'll say about it, because I have no idea what's happening. No one's talking about it. The issue first began. It wasn't last Thursday. He missed three days of practice starting with his birthday, yeah. which was supposedly a pre-planned day off, because if, you, if you're 45 in the NFL, you know, you get the day off. <laughs> You've earned that much. You don't have to show up for work on your 45th birthday. But he wasn't there the next day or the day after that. And then he was back for four days of practice, and then he launched this pre-planned absence from camp. The absences started the day after everything hit the fan on the Dolphins tampering. And if we're just looking for circumstantial evidence, uh, I don't know. I don't know what we're looking for. I just know that what the timeline tells me is that before the NFL announced to the world that the Dolphins had spent four consecutive years while he was with two different teams trying to get him to come play for Miami, and everything started after that. How do we completely ignore a potential connection? You can't. I don't know that there is, but when you just look at the days, everything's fine, everything's fine, everything's fine. He's showing up, he's working, he's practicing. Boom. The Dolphins tried to get him, and he wanted to play for the Dolphins. Next three days, he's not there. Back for four days, gone for a week, and we don't know when he's going to come back. I just think it's another item of curiosity in a broader issue that we all are justifiably curious about. And we talked about Deshaun Watson's next press conference. What's Tom Brady's next press conference going to look like, Mike? Because he hasn't answered any of those Dolphins questions yet. And he hasn't. And then he's going to have the questions about where he's been, what he's been doing. There's a lot to ask Tom Brady. And you know what? He is really good at taking one question and making a five-minute answer that has nothing to do with the question. I suspect there won't be very many questions and there won't be very many real answers, but there is a whole lot to ask Tom Brady when he comes back and has that first press conference back. Hey, we know how it goes, and it's Tom Brady. It's like tiptoeing down the hallway to see the Wizard of Oz. And, and I, it's easy for us to say, oh, go in there and ask a tough question. Yeah, because we're not the ones who have to do it. It would not be easy to do in that first press conference, and as a result, we're not going to get much. All right, let's take a break. When we return, we're going to talk about quarterbacks who aren't on a training camp hiatus. We'll do that when this Friday edition of PFT Live continues right after this. The Peter King training camp tour continues but it is indeed coming to a conclusion you see today and tomorrow lions colts it's been a long road for peter king on thursday he spent some time with cowboys quarterback Dak prescott you can find the full interview on our nfl on nbc youtube page here is just part of peter's conversation with the cowboys quarterback have you thought much about the last play of the last game of last season and is there anything at all you do different on that play yeah I mean I've thought about it a lot uh, I'm a big I'm a guy that loves to reflect um, and then obviously in situations like that something that scars you um, builds a callus uh, you've got to go back and reflect you've got to think about in this game a bunch of different situations and things happen what if it happened again and um, I could easily say I wish I would have went down faster but I don't I don't I think I went and got enough so I'm not going to say I regret that by any means um, 
the process just should have been cleaner from myself, the center, the line, the officials. Everybody could have been better and more prepared for what was going on. Um, so I'm not going to regret that. If anything, I feel like I should have did what we did at the last play today and made a call where I'm not going to spike it. I, I snapped it at one second and just went and tried to get a Hail Mary off or get something off that gives us a chance. And then we didn't leave the play, the snap, the clock, and the officials and the game clock's hands. Last thing, do you look at your chances this year as a team uh, any differently than you've looked at your chances in the past? You're always a totally glass half full guy. You're an optimistic guy. Are you optimistic about this year? Very, very optimistic. And because of the team that we had last year and because of what we went through, um, the way that we've handled it moving forward, I think we're in a better position this year than we, we, we were last year. And I know some guys have gone and some guys have, have left and went to other teams, but that, that's the nature of this business. What we have built here, the core, the leaders, and mixed with a great group of young guys who are hungry to make a name for themselves and getting this league running. Um, I feel very, very confident about where we are and excited about where we are and just ready to, to keep building and, and get this thing rolling. Mike McCarthy just left here, and he told me, he says, Dak was born to be the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times when I listen to you talk, I know it's corny, but I kind of feel that way. Huh. Do you ever? Uh, it's a blessing, honestly. I grew up a, a fan of the Dallas Cowboys and always said I'd be a quarterback in the NFL or I wanted to be the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. So... Going into year seven, uh, I'm blessed for everything that's come my way, all the adversities, pluses, minuses, everything in between that's um, made me the person that I am. So if it's suited to be the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys, then God knew what he was doing, and I'm just thankful for to be in this position. I'm going to make the most of my opportunity. My God, it's already year seven for Dak Prescott. Shereen, we keep We're getting, getting old. older. Um, so... That last play from the 49ers playoff game. Does that resonate yeah. into 2022 for Dak Prescott or the Cowboys? I'd like to think that they privately acknowledge that there's a lesson there to be learned about not just drawing up plays, but making sure you properly execute them and also get out of the way when you need to so the official can spot the ball so you can spike it. But do you think that that lingers like we've seen other Big plays linger for a team. The end of Super Bowl 49, for example, with the Seahawks and, you know, the the blown lead by the Falcons. Is this the kind of thing that resonates into 22? Well, I think, Mike, they've spent a lot of time looking at that play and regretting how that play played out, obviously, because it didn't give them a chance to go beat the 49ers, the only home team to lose in the wild card round of the postseason, they thought they were better than the 49ers, and they had a chance to get to the NFC Championship game, and they didn't get there and didn't have a chance to get there because of that play. But, you know, Mike, I, I think more of their season this year, and I, I don't know that they'll make the playoffs. I don't think they win the division. I think the Eagles are a better team. I think the Cowboys have the better quarterback, but I think the Eagles have the better roster. But with all the losses the Cowboys have had, a, through trades and free agency in the offseason, and then with some injuries that they've had in training camp, I just don't know that, to me, this team looks like one that's going to go and contend and give Jerry what he's been saying he would write a check for right now uh, since 1995 when they last went to the championship game and won a Super Bowl. They just don't look like that to me on paper. I don't know that this play will have anything to do with that. I think it's more of, of what's transpired with their personnel. But 
they just to me don't look like the the team that ended that season. I thought it was a pretty good team. I thought they had a chance to get to the championship game last year. I don't see this team as that, Mike, at least based on paper. And we've seen teams be better than we thought they were going to be. Maybe they are, but I just don't see that right now with all the losses they have in personnel. Jerry will have to take solace in his super yacht. If you're going to spend that big <laughs> check on something, at least you get something tangible on the back end. You've already got three Lombardi trophies. Here's Mike Tomlin, coach of the team that has six Lombardi trophies. Is it six? It is six. Here he is on his quarterback plan for preseason game number two against the Jacksonville Jaguars. In regards to the quarterbacks, uh, we, we intend to play uh, all three in this game. Uh, Mitchell start. Um, Kenny will be next. And then uh, Mason will finish it off. All three guys have performed well. Uh, I really think the main emphasis and the mentality regarding how we structured it this week is we just simply want to see Kenny in more varsity action. Uh, we know more about Mason. Uh, Mitch has been around the professional game, obviously. And so this is a big week for him in terms of maybe getting in in the first half of this game. And, and I would imagine getting an opportunity to see uh, frontline defenders for Jacksonville. And so I'm excited about uh, those guys continuing to work and lead and and make plays and take care of the football, all the things that we value. Varsity action for Kenny Pickett. Look, they're trying to, I think, number one, see what he does in those settings. But also, number two, if you are considering going with Kenny Pickett, either week one or at some point after that, you need to have the locker room behind you. Now, Mike Tomlin does a good job of controlling the locker room, but still, one of the reasons he's in control of the locker room is he understands the heartbeat of the locker room. He knows what the players think. He knows what they expect. He knows who they regard to be the guy who gives them the best chance to win. Players aren't interested in a long-term project. For a lot of them, this may be their last year in the NFL. They want to try to win now. They want the best guy on the field, and Pickett needs to prove he's the best option before he's the guy that's going to be running that offense. So we move closer to something. We don't know what. I still feel like it's Mitch Trubisky's job to lose, but it's possible he loses it if Kenny Pickett shows enough that gives Mike Tomlin comfort. Isn't this something, Mike? I mean, they talk about having a quarterback battle, but that quarterback battle was between Mitchell Trubisky and Mason Rudolph, and now Mason Rudolph is the third guy. And I do think that's a clear message. I, I don't think this is just wanting to see him in varsity action. I do think clearly Mason Rudolph is the third guy, and it's not a surprise to any of us. I don't think it's a surprise to anybody the question I have is whether Mason Rudolph is on this team uh, after final cuts. And I expected him to be, but now I'm not so sure based on him being the third quarterback. But Kenny Pickett has looked really good. I I'm surprised with how quickly he has, has done what he's done. 13 of 15, 95 yards. He had the game winner the other day, Mike, right at the end of the game. Just thought he handled that situation beautifully. I know we're going to have a draft later of things you want to see, and I'm not going to – pick Kenny Pickett since we're talking about him here, but he's who I want to see this week. I want to see what he does. I can't wait to see Kenny Pickett play in this game because I think there's a chance that he could win that starting job. I think Mitchell Trubisky's underrated, but Kenny Pickett has looked far better than I thought he would look at this point in his career so far. Mason Rudolph got a $2 million signing bonus to re-up with the Steelers for this year. I doubt he gets cut but I think he's a guy who could be traded. That's something to keep an eye on as we get closer and closer to August 30 when the rosters go from 90 
actually 80 at that point, down to 53. All right, here's Robert Sala, Jets head coach, on who will start at quarterback week one, just a day after Zach Wilson had arthroscopic surgery on his knee. If Zach is ready to go, he's going he's gonna to be the week one starter. If he's not, then Joe will. That's uh, no secret. But, uh, again, we're – we're we're gonna take it by how how Zach looks, how he feels, how he moves, how the doctor what the doctors tell us, and uh, and whenever that moment is, he's he's stepping on the football field. That's a new look for Robert Sala. He's got three day beard that extends to his head. <laughs> I've never seen that before. That's uh, <laughs> that's pretty camp? good. That's pretty good. Um, look, of course they'd like to hold out hope for Zach Wilson to play. They've said he's not going to play until he's 100. percent They have faith in Joe Flacco. You look at their schedule. I mean, they start with the Ravens. I don't think it matters against the Ravens. And we put that schedule up all the time. And I'm sorry, Jets fans. There it is again. That left column. Holy crap. Couldn't yeah. couldn't we have gotten the Bears or the Lions or the Jaguars at some point in those first few weeks? That is murderer's row for the Jets. They have pissed somebody off at 345 Park Avenue the past couple of years with all their tough games early. So uh, I, I think you just you just make sure that that Wilson is completely healthy. And if you have to go with Joe Flacco for a week or two, so be it. Because at the end of the day, it's not going to make much of a difference. No, and I think Joe Flacco probably wants to play against the Ravens. And that would be, Mike, you think about all the quarterbacks we have going back to play their former teams that week. And I may miss some. I know we have at least three, Baker versus the Browns, assuming he wins that job. And we all expect him to. Russell versus the Seahawks. And now Joe Flacco could be playing against his former team uh, in week one. So they're not going to miss much with Joe Flacco if it's a game or two. You know, I think this year is really important for Zach Wilson. But if he's out one or two games based on that schedule, I don't expect the Jets to make the playoffs. This is really a chance for Zach Wilson to, to get some more experience. And they think he's their franchise quarterback, and they'll get another season to find that out. But you don't want to rush him back there too soon, especially with the schedule they face. I think it's Joe Flacco week one. Week two of the preseason started last night with one game in Seattle between the Bears and the Seahawks. We'll tell you the most important things that happened that night. To the extent anything important happens in a preseason game when PFT Live continues right after this. Evaluate Gino's night. Um, I, I, he did okay. Um, you know, we needed to come through. We need to help him a little bit. You know, we need to make the plays around him too. And we missed a block on the screen, and we missed a third down conversion. And there's another one in there. Um, he, he's running the show well. He's doing okay. You know, got got rid of the got out of the pocket. You know, when he needed to, and and uh, threw a couple of really good balls that could have been converted. We got to come through for him. Our receivers got to make the plays for him. And you know, we need to see. Uh, DK and, and Locke and, and the fellas out there, you know, we're going to count on DK and Locke and Marquise has got a chance to help us and and, uh, and Eskridge has got a chance, Eskridge has a chance to come back this week, we need those guys to come through if he's going to be good, tight ends did a nice job really big play by Kobe uh, tonight, um, so there's some bright spots Pete Carroll on the performance of Geno Smith completed 10 of 18 passes for 112 yards, couple of drops no points in five drives, and Geno Smith returned from halftime with an ice bag on his knee. Pete Carroll said that Geno Smith banged his knee, could have gone back in if need be. I've already seen some voices in Seattle arguing that Drew Locke improved his status 
on the depth chart by not playing last night because Geno was just uninspiring. But like Pete Carroll said, if he's running the offense and other guys aren't doing their jobs, it drags down the quarterback and it makes it look like the quarterback failed. But if everybody else is doing what they're supposed to do, the quarterback looks like he's thrived. So that's really it's, it's one of the realities of preseason. When you don't play the whole game, you don't get into a flow of the game, you don't have adjustments, you don't see what a guy does in crunch time, you don't see how a team overcomes adversity. It really is a weird existence. And he had limited time with Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf, who weren't supposed to play, ended up playing three snaps, and DK Metcalf was pretending to be upset about it when he was interviewed at halftime, or not at halftime, but on the sidelines. So I, I don't know what to make of any of it. I still think that Pete Carroll wants Geno Smith to be the week one starter, and I think he will be. Yeah, I do too, Mike. And it was really a weird first half for the Seahawks because they had a run of 33 yards. They had passes of 29 and 41 and had no points. They did miss a field goal. They had more yards than the Bears had, and and they trailed at halftime. So it was a weird game, I think, for the Seahawks. And, you know, we were debating on the PFT string earlier this week about the, the Seahawks, and I just think the two teams that we saw yesterday are going to be two of the worst teams in the NFL this season. I don't know that it matters who starts for them at quarterback. I I think, in in fact, the more games they lose is probably better for the Seahawks simply because you don't want to win that, be in that seven, eight, nine range, Mike, and not get in the postseason, and you don't have a good draft position. I mean, if you're going to be – mediocre you need to be really bad so that you get one of those higher picks and you get one of those quarterbacks who's coming out next year and you start over in in rebuilding this team so it might be better for them in the long term to have one of those seasons when they're just not very good and and get that higher pick and get the quarterback but you know what if Geno Smith starts and plays well and this team does well then then they have their quarterback so he's going to get his opportunity I think I think he will start week one I mean just based on what Pete Carroll has said all along now about he's our number one guy he's in the lead he knows this offense better than Drew Locke does and now with Locke out with COVID I just think Geno's going to be their guy in week one for a moment or two there I think Stephen Ross if he's listening and good morning Stephen how are you I think if he's listening, he's saying, that's all I was doing. That's all I was trying to do. I was just accepting the fact that if we're not going to be very good, what's the point of winning seven games? Let's go ahead and win none and get the first overall pick in the draft. I disagree with you. I think the Seahawks are going to be better than people realize. And I think the fact that they're being written off is going to play to their advantage. They've always been competitive under Pete Carroll. And I think he's determined this year to prove that he can do it without Russell Wilson. We saw nine snaps last night from Justin Fields, the Bears quarterback. Uh, I, I, it's, impo- that's, it's impossible to really get a feel yeah. for where a guy is. Um, I, and I don't know that we're going to until week one when San Francisco comes to town when the game counts. You know, all I got out of that was as much as they rolled them out as they don't trust their offensive line, and I wouldn't trust it either, and they didn't want Justin Fields to take any hits. So he was rolling out of that pocket a lot, and I think we're going to see that a lot this season. Mike, I feel I kind of feel sorry for him because that, that offensive line is just not very good. And the problem when you roll out like that, you limit yourself to two options, one short and one deeper down the field. Look, we've seen it in the last couple of plays. You're taking away half the field when you do that. But if that's the only way that your guy is going to be able to have any time whatsoever to do anything, so be it. And that's very different 
from Patrick Mahomes starting in the pocket and then breaking one way or the other because he has to or he sees an opportunity. And with Mahomes, even if he's on the left side, the ball can end up over here. For these designed rollouts, and you can just tell by the way it's happening, that's the way the play has been drawn up. You're cutting the field in half, and you're making it harder to operate your offense. By the way, Damian Lewis, Seahawks offensive lineman, was carted off with an ankle injury. They put an air cast on him. It looked bad. Carroll said after the game he was very, very fortunate to avoid major injury. X-rays negative. When we return, we're going to take a look back at some of the biggest stories in the NFL and then our Show Me Something draft for week two of the preseason with all games to be played except for the one we saw last night. More PFT Live right after this. Look, I want to say that I'm truly sorry to all the women that I've impacted in this situation. Um, my des- decisions that I made in my life that put me in this position, um, you know, I, w- I would definitely like to have back. We've been saying for months that this is the tack that he needs to take because it's the right thing to do, not because it's his last little chance to slip out from the worst possible outcome. I think it was, you know, somewhat genuine there in the fact that, okay, at least he could stand there in front of the camera and say something like that and and take it a little and and do some self-reflecting there. There was an anger from him for a while, and I think that's what rubbed people wrong, almost like an anger, like, how dare you call me out on this stuff? We, we follow Coach Belichick's lead, you know. I mean, it's obviously we're just – I'm just trying to do my job to the best ability, whatever he asked me to do uh, on any given day. The assistant coach's job is real simple. Make the head coach happy. They're changing the offense post-McDaniels. And I get the impression, Chris, that they've just had this bloated – it's like George Costanza's wallet. It's this big bloated thing that they keep cramming stuff into – and they've decided to thin out the wallet this year and simplify things because it had become this behemoth that no one could learn. He is, as an offensive mind, in the class of the best in the game over the last 16, 17 years. In my opinion, he's up there with the Sean Paytons and the Andy Reeds and the McVeighs and the Shanahans. Uh, to me, he's in that class. So I don't care who you are, what team you are. You got Bill Belichick coaching you or Vince Lombardi coaching you. When you lose that type of guy on your staff, I, I got, got to think there's going to be a little bit of a drop off on that side of the ball. Yeah, regardless of what happened, this is we were going to give Drew a chance to start a game and, and, and you know to see what happens. And Gino deserved more than that. You know he deserved the starting opportunity, and so that's how we, uh, you know, we came to settle on it. I don't want I don't want Pete Carroll making any comments about me. My God, <laughs> Come down with the flu. Next thing you know, you got COVID. <laughs> Drew Locke will miss the Thursday night game, and it will be Geno Smith unless he gets so sick that he that he taps out. And it's Jacob Eason, unless he's so sick that he gets taps out. And then, and then I don't know, maybe Pete Carroll plays quarterback. Geno's in the trust tree. Geno showed he could play Seattle Seahawks Pete Carroll football without turning the ball over last year and, and doing that. And I think that's big to Pete Carroll. With or without the COVID positive, I think that it was going to be Geno Smith. This now just makes it even stronger. Baker Mayfield is expected to be named the week one starting quarterback for the Panthers. Look, this is a no-brainer, but they did a decent job of at least making a stop and think. Yeah. 
Maybe there is a real competition. You know, I think at the end of the day, he's just a better player than Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold has some skills. I'm not giving up on him for, for his career as being a starting quarterback. But uh, there's in the pocket, it was the number one issue coming out of USC. He was great at backyard football. But in the NFL, it's hard to play backyard football unless you're a really special athlete. And I don't think he's quite special enough to pull that off. And then, now, uh, let's come down to how who can work in the pocket and make big throws. And that's where Baker Mayfield, I think, has a, a, a big advantage over Sam Darnold. continues i love him he's your guy follow him i love him not kirk cousins is kind of a dork i love him i'll get kirk cousins tattooed left arm i love him not what second year or younger quarterbacks would you trade kirk cousins for right now Go ahead. You want time? You, go, you, you, you can, all of them? You can go. Go ahead. Any you of go. them? Because it's a Kirk Cousins. He's your favorite quarterback. I don't like it at Kirk Cousins. Oh. Happy birthday, Kirk Cousins. 34 <laughs> years young. <laughs> see what he can do this year with Kevin O'Connell. See what he'll do this weekend with what likely will be his preseason debut for the Vikings because he didn't play in week one due to his COVID diagnosis he met with reporters early this week and said it was the perfect five days of any of the five days you could miss in camp this was it this worked out well so now he's back and we'll see what he can do show me something draft Kirk Cousins happy birthday edition Shireen week two of the preseason show me something who you got show me something Mac Jones he didn't play last week I expect him to play this week we haven't heard for certain that he'll play tonight but I would expect him to based on Bill Belichick's history. He always played Tom Brady in the preseason. So we need to see something from Mac Jones, the 15th overall pick last year. Had a good year last year in camp. The offense has not looked good. I want to see how that offense looks. But more than that, Mike, I want to know who's calling plays for him. Because we saw it last week with the two quarterbacks. They flip-flopped who called those plays, whether it was Joe Judge or Matt Patricia. But who's going to call them for Mac Jones if he plays tonight? And look, I had it more broadly on my list, the Patriots offense, regardless of who's a quarterback, who is calling the plays. Bill Belichick tap danced around the idea that there's a competition between Matt Patricia and Joe Judge. I don't believe it. I think like anything else, he wants to see which guy's going to be better suited to during it in the season. And the bottom line is Bill Belichick still has final say on whatever happens and he'll 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 be incredibly involved in creating the potential plays that could be used in any given situation. And he always can, can call out a different number for the wristband than whatever he hears from Matt Patricia, Joe judge, or whoever else may be calling the plays. I'm going to start with Jacoby Brissett. He's starting in the preseason game on uh, Saturday against the Philadelphia Eagles. He didn't play in week one of the preseason. We now know it's him for 11 games at least. We need to see what he can do. The Browns fans need to believe. And the Browns need to maybe evaluate a little bit. Again, I don't know how much you glean from the preseason, but to the extent that the Browns are thinking at all about potentially adding someone, whether it's Jimmy Garoppolo or anyone else, what Jacoby Brissett does or doesn't do in this preseason game is at least a data point to be considered in making any broader decisions that they may have to make. 
Yeah, Mike, they've got to see something from him to know that we can trust him for those first 11 games to get us through that, to win us some games, to keep us in it. And if they don't see that, maybe they do look at Jimmy Garoppolo. Maybe they come back. If he plays terrible, maybe they come back next week and say, we need to give up something to try to get Jimmy Garoppolo and get him now so we can get him ready as quickly as possible to play in this game. Mike, my second pick is going to be those Packers young receivers because Aaron Rodgers called them out this week. They need to respond. And I think they responded late this week in practice after he did that. But they know what Alan Lazard and Randall Cobb and Sammy Watkins can do. They need to see what some of those young guys can do when, they put, when they're put in game situations. It's going to be with Jordan Love, but that's okay. They need to make some plays and do what they need to do to show Aaron Rodgers, hey, you can have trust in us. We're going to be where we're supposed to be. We're going to catch the ball when it comes to us. We're not going to have those drops. We're going to do all the right things. They've got to replace not only Devontae Adams, but Marquez Valdez-Scantling, and those two guys were such a huge part of that offense last season, Mike. 149 catches, almost 2,000 yards, and 14 touchdowns. And so they're counting on those young guys to come out and play, play now, and play well. In honor of Peter King, show me something, Daniel Jones. Look, I, I think the beat writers made a little bit too much out of it, but Brian Dayball, the coach of the Giants, did say earlier this week that Tyrod Taylor will get some first-team reps in the preseason, and every rep that he gets is one fewer rep that Jones gets, and Jones is trying to prove himself to everybody, trying to prove himself to himself. So the process begins now. He's learning a new offense. He needs to be ready to go week one, and I think the better he looks in the preseason – the, the more inclined fans and media will be to kind of calm down and let it play out. As Chris said a couple of times this week, Michael Irvin was already banging on the table for Tyrod Taylor to be the starter. So Jones needs to get it done in the preseason to avoid having that mindset spread beyond Michael Irvin. Yeah, exactly right, Mike. And he's coming off that second neck surgery uh, that we didn't know about. And he did take some hits last week. You saw him take some really bad hits. And it was good and bad because you don't want him taking those hits in the preseason. But at the same time, Mike, he made it through that game okay uh, and didn't seem to have any problem with his neck. All right, round three, what do you got? My third pick is going to be from that Cowboys-Chargers game, and don't stay up to watch it because there's going to be no one you want to see playing in that game, but I want to see if the Cowboys can cut down on those penalties. 17 penalties last week, Mike, for 129 yards. It was a continuation of what happened in 2021. They led the league with 153. That was 11 more than any other team. They came back in the 49ers game. They had 14 penalties. It doesn't seem to matter who plays for the Cowboys. They're going to have penalties. So they've got to figure out a way to get that stop. Bill Parcells used to always say, I don't coach penalties. Mike McCarthy's got to coach penalties because that's way too many. On Saturday afternoon on NFL Network, we will see the Washington Commanders take on the Kansas City Chiefs. Show me something Chiefs offense, and you will because you're playing the whole first half. Look. <laughs> There continues to be a debate over whether or not the Chiefs will be better off without Tyreek Hill. I have started to come around on the idea that maybe they will, that Tyreek Hill, even though he commanded double coverage, 
He was becoming kind of a negative presence, complaining about his lack of touches, at least in comparison to what he had hoped his touches would be. Will the offense thrive without a weapon like him? Will other guys get open? Where is Patrick Mahomes in his development as a guy who can walk up to the line of scrimmage and know, based upon what he sees on the other side of the ball, where the guy is going to be open and which read he's going to have to move to. You know, the best quarterbacks who have done it a lot start their read progression before they even have the ball in their hands. This is a great opportunity for Mahomes and for the other guys, whoever is healthy enough to play. We know Nicole Hardman has a groin injury that isn't believed to be serious. But that Chiefs offense is going to get plenty of opportunities to get into a bit of a rhythm. I want to see what they can do because what they do or don't do is going to go a long way toward making people believe they can or can't thrive without Tyreek Hill. Mahomes looked great in limited action last week. I want to see how he looks in a full half against Washington. Yeah, when I look at that roster, Mike, and I said this on the PFT chain this week too, I don't see a whole lot of talent. And if it wasn't for Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, I'd say, ooh, this team's not going to be very good. But they have Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, so it makes you think they always have a chance with those two guys. And like Tom Brady used to do in New England, I think Patrick Mahomes can take any receivers and make them look better than what they are. Yeah, and uh, you've already written off the Seahawks. You're ready to write off the Chiefs. I'm keeping track. I'm looking for redemption for my suggestion last year that a certain team that made it to the Super Bowl had no chance to make it to the postseason at all. Let's take a break. We'll wrap up this Friday edition of Pro Football Talk Live right after this. So here's a story that Jay Glazer posted on social media yesterday about Steelers coach Mike Tomlin. Tomlin was driving in his car when he saw kids fighting in the street. He pulled over, and the kids, in obvious shock, stopped fighting. Mike Tomlin then spent the next few hours with the kids. He invited the same group to practice. There they are doing the ladder drills. I don't know. I think he's looking for some guys that maybe develop into future football players. Get a little fight in you, and I'm kidding. I think it's great to the extent that he saw something that troubled him. He's providing a good example. He's giving them some positive reinforcement. That's an awesome thing. Unfortunately, there aren't enough guys like Mike Tomlin to address all the various problems that we have out there with kids who need the right guidance at the right time. But good on Tomlin for at a time when he's pretty busy. He's otherwise occupied. For him to even notice and care enough to stop and do anything, it's just another reason why Mike Tomlin is one of the more underappreciated coaches we've seen in recent years. And Steelers fans, the moment that they hit any adversity, are ready to get rid of him. It's like, you know, okay. Okay, fine. Somebody else will hire him today if you do that. I love Mike Tomlin, Mike, and this is just another reason why. How many coaches in the NFL do you think do that? See kids fighting, pull over, invite them to camp, do all the things that he did. How many, how many other coaches in the NFL do that? We've never heard of it happening. So none. No. None ever before none? that we know about. And I'm sure if it had happened, yeah. we would have found out about it because it is a great story and it is a good example. And it's, I think it's something the rest of us can, can learn from because there may be situations we see in our lives. Now, oh, we don't want to get involved. Well, sometimes you need to get involved and sometimes you need to find the right way to diffuse a situation and provide a positive example for some kids that may seem, for whatever reason, to be on the right path, the wrong path, excuse me. So that's good for Mike Tomlin. And the Steelers are a team. If you want to go ahead and write them off, Go ahead. No. Uh, I no, wouldn't advise never. it. I wouldn't advise it. The, the last time I checked, they were 10-1 to 1 to win their division, plus 1,000 
odds, uh, the longest shot of the four teams, this is exactly what plays into the Steelers' favor. Every time that they are regarded to be a team that's not going to be very good, they find a way. And we've seen Tomlin's never had a losing season. I don't care who the quarterback is. They're going to do well. They've got Najee Harris, who is poised to have a huge second season. Their defense is still phenomenal. And, again, if you write them off, I mean, that, that psychological component is so powerful. The Bills would surely love to be written off right now. Where, where do they get their external motivation from? Everybody's ready to hand them the next Lombardi trophy. It's so much better to be that team that everyone is just kind of overlooking because you don't have to worry about your guys getting a big head. And you can do, as a coach, everything that you need to do to get a chip on their shoulder so they go out and beat some teams. If I'm the owners, the new owners of the Broncos, Mike, I go and meet with the Steelers. And I want to know how they do things and how they, year after year after year, contend. Because they've done it the right way. They've been, to me, the model franchise in the NFL. They're always there. They're not going to lose games. And if I'm Art Rooney, I tell the new owners of the Broncos to kick rocks figure it out on your own we're not sharing our secret sauce not with a team in the afc or anyone that's it for today thanks for some of your time enjoy the weekend see you monday